Meet the people who make Burning Man happen. Around the world. The dreamers and doers. The artists, freaks, and fools. Burning Man Live. Well, it's a real pleasure to get to talk to you today. My multi-talented friend, Buck Down, who I'm proud to introduce, is a musician of renown, a designer, a gate volunteer or staffer. Yeah, management. Um, Management. management a manager of gate oh yeah let's talk about that uh and an overnight social media influencer with yeah. his recent article what the fuck just happened to burning man how's that feel i get to break the internet about once a year and it's always cool and a lot of it just i fight with algorithms like we all do i think the people that, that put out art online do at the end of 2019, everybody was doing their sort of wrap-up, the decade pieces. I wrote a piece called The 2010s, The Decade of Shitty White People. To talk about a clickbait title, <laughs> and then that did like 150,000 reads on Medium. This one that we're talking about today is just over 100,000. It's, which it is is pretty new. So, yeah. 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 What do you think is different about it? What do you think hopped the fence this time? The big thing was that it made it onto the Burning Man Facebook group, which has a quarter million people on it. Some percentage of all the people who have ever gone to Burning Man are on there. Many who haven't as well, I yeah. note. It's like three things. It's the clickbait title, one. Two, mm -hmm. I think that it really spoke to something organically the question everybody was like, what the fuck just happened there? Because it wasn't the same. And then three, it's that the Burning Man community is very networked. And so like, yes, while you and I probably have the same 500 people that, you know, generally are localized to people who have worked at the event or people that can draw themselves back to, say, the early 2000s, late 90s. But there is also a bunch of burners who are farther afield. Now that we've had enough people come through that event, millions now. Well, and, and Burning Man is not just in Black Rock City, right? There's regional it, burns. Yeah. And mm. then I think you also have the phenomenon that all of us come out of there. We come back from our company picnic and then we wouldn't shut up about Burning Man <laughs> for the other eight months to anyone that would listen. So on some level, it's the closest thing Burning Man has to advertising is the fact that we all go out there and then just don't shut up about Burning Man. And then it's probably appealing to 20% of people go, oh, that sounds great. The other 80 years, like you're fucking Will insane. You shut up. Yes. Yeah. And yes, would you kindly shut up about Burning Man? So that's why you called it the cult that joins you. It is. This is a holdover to cacophony. The appeal of cacophony was that one line. You're already a member. You just didn't know it yet. And you I think may already be a you member. You may already be a member. If you had gotten that far <laughs> to have heard that line, odds are, yes, you right. work. And I right. think that most of the places that I've found myself connected to, which are the same ones you are, Gigsville is very much like that. Gate is very much like that. 
then the different departments within Burning Man are very self-selecting because I think Burning Man does very much let you fail laterally until you find the place that you're useful. Facts. I've gotten to the point where I've spent so long, particularly working for gay, I can talk to somebody for 15 minutes and tell them which of the, I think, 26 sub-departments we have that they are going to be awesome in. Because all of the people that roll to that point of gravity have certain things. The people that work perimeter, I can tell who a perimeter person because they're kooky and antisocial on some level. They're smart, but suck at people. You know, <laughs> all my perimeter friends or listening to this going, fuck you, but also Great, yes. Buck, I'll see you next year, punch. Yeah, yeah I'll pick a fight with the perimeter guy. They, they, <laughs> They'll just throw I'm not fight. Here's the thing. Somebody from logistics, absolutely punch me in the face. Perimeter <laughs> guy. But then the people that work the lanes, they're just going to bitch about it on Facebook. See what I'm saying? It's like all of the individual little things within Burning Man have that. So, Let's go back to your article for a second. Yeah. I want to talk about the unique experience of this year. Yeah. And how you noted and identified the internalized trauma that we've been through being so isolated from one another. And for some people, this was their first big meeting with anybody. How did that come into play for you this year? Well, it definitely was me. I was the patient zero on this article. I've been doing this now for 25 years. And in particular, working for the department I'm working for, for I guess 15 now. So I've got a pretty broad data set of what Burning Man generally feels like. This stood out. I walked away from that trying to reverse engineer. I was like, okay, what's different? When I got back and I saw other people intimating the same things, there was a trend line that I could follow, which was that the longer that you had gone to Burning Man and the deeper that your involvement was, the more this phenomenon seemed to stick out. From there, it was just kind of working backwards. I've been working with the same people out there. Yeah. We've been out there roughly the same amount of time. We have all the same friends. We've been in that world for a long enough time to know, for the most part, Burning Man's Groundhog Day, especially if you work there. When you get there, <laughs> the things that make any individual year differentiate itself from any other one don't exist. So it's the same shit that you have in your containers and you set your camp up the same way and you do your process the same way that it and took that you three couch years. I donated 10 years ago. Right. That, yeah. yeah. We are creatures of habit. I had this sensation every year when I get there that I just fell asleep in my LC at the end of last year <laughs> and had this dream about Los Angeles. And now I'm back at work at Burning Man. Like I never left because so much of it looks exactly the same. It's the same people. We're all kind of at that cusp of early middle age where we don't look that different every year, <laughs> maybe a little fatter. By the way, that was my goal for Burning Man this year is like, I don't need to not be fat. I just need to be not any fatter than I was the last time everyone saw me. So the first thing they think is like, oh, yeah, you got fat. Oh, I thought you were going to say you you packed on a few on purpose, which would be a really noble goal because people deserve to look however they feel like taking up space. Well, there's the fact that I, I'm not willing to put that much effort into it. Yeah. So, <laughs> to bring it back to the question, yes. Looking at the relationships that I had with people and relationships among people like within my department community, however you want to phrase that, that had known each other, in some cases, as long as 20 years. And you can see palpably different 
reactions to one another and the same things that would have normally happened and have happened in the past. Obviously, something is different about it. The whole point of the article was starting to drill down and go like, what was it? Well, the weather was shitty. Yeah, the weather's always shitty. It was hot. Well, it's always fucking hot. It was hard. It's always hard. The things that were everybody's first guess is like, the worse those things are, the better. Under a normal year, if it was super shitty, we'd be bragging about how super shitty it was. True. That's the kind of people we are. We're not going there because it's easy. We're actually going there because it's hard. And this is sort of a privilege canceling exercise. Well, especially in your milieu, your cohort in Giggsville, which is one of the longest standing villages in the whole years. town, is full of people who volunteer their butts off yeah. like you do and give much of their lives to Burning Man, not just on the playa, but contributing design like you do and things yeah. like that. And who are somehow willing to make safety third and suffer fest a priority. <laughs> there are very few remaining institutions that can go all the way back to the late 90s, early 2000s. Obviously, Thunderdome is one of them. Giggsville is another. It's certainly still the longest running village. Actually, I think Giggsville was kind of the first thing that transitioned from being a theme camp to what we now call a village. Multiple it, theme camps. Yeah, multiple theme camps. Oddly enough, <laughs> Giggsville, of all people, um, sort of established the contours of what we call a village. That started around 99, and there's a very direct line between the L.A. Cacophony Society and Giggsville. It's funny because Giggsville has probably put more people into the deeper seams of this event than any other village has. And the vibe, the rep of Giggsville, which I adore, and it's not undeserved, is that, that <laughs> we're idiots and we're here to bum everybody out and or just to fuck with everybody. Giggsville is just that duocracy. There's never any pressure on anybody to do anything. And as a result, you can choose to do things. That is the way you get people to... No one wants to be micromanaged, especially out here. These are not followers, you know? Right. It is a self-service call. Like Larry right. said, you wash gotta your wash, brain. wash your own goddamn brain, everybody. <laughs> when you do that, this is one of the reasons why with my music, I make it pay what you want. I have made more money selling music to people by going, you know what? Pay me whatever you want for that. Or inclusive of nothing. Taking that pressure off of people to have to do things puts them in a space where they're more inclined to want to do things. There's enough options out there to where you can pick the thing that I like, oh, this is interesting to me. I want to go stand in car exhaust fumes two miles outside of the best party on earth or whatever it is. Right. I think it was Trey Ghosh in Giggsville back in the day that said, if you launch an idea and nobody wants to help you with it, maybe it wasn't a very good idea. Damn right. And that's been really the duocracy of Giggsville the whole time. Or it's not a bad enough, you know. <laughs> See also barbecue. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing this because it's smart. And I think that is a sort of vestigial tale from the early 92 to 96 era Burning Man, where it's just like, let's do things that are cartoonishly dangerous and stupid, which I think is, we all discovered, not scalable. <laughs> That's a perfect way to say it. 
I heard that the fire department got called when the barbecue got lit this year. That's a fine tradition. It's a fine tradition, indeed. (laughs) So anything that you want to share about how it went at the gate this year? The gate, it's funny. If you take three to four steps back, 30,000 foot view of the event, nothing didn't happen. All the deliverables got delivered. A man burned. People got in and out of there. All the stuff in the who, when, when, why guy probably happened. You know, all I like things- the why that you added there. Yeah. The what, where, when, why. <laughs> yeah, it really does need a why, doesn't it? That should be part of when you submit an event. Like, Jim, what are you doing? Why? Just, I don't know. They don't know. Kicks. Not because it's smart. <laughs> yeah, all those things happen. But I think it's that they weren't as rewarding. That would be the closest thing I could say to like an axiomatic thing. We did all these things, but why did I not get the dopamine release, the feel-good brain juice that normally happens here? One of my things my individual sub-department does in gate is the opening night ceremony. With the stroke of midnight, you know, we stop all the traffic, we shut the lanes down and then blow up a giant fuel bomb and some fireworks and yay, burning men starting we bring some folks down in our cars and stuff like this. It's the longest run for the shortest slide imaginable. But normally that's a thing within my crew of like 13 people that exhausts a lot of effort and labor. But when it's done, we're all like high fives. And yeah, we did that. This was the first year that that was not the way. We came back after that and no one was talking to each other, which is unusual there are some some moving parts in there like everybody else we had a lot of turnover we had a lot of people in jobs that they'd never done before it's not happening in a vacuum still the good feeling didn't come afterwards why is that not happening so much of what burning man does is this shared experience a shared thing this thing we do together what i think had happened to us over the pandemic was we very much got back into the thing that Burning Man had dragged us away from, which is this rugged individualism, this unhealthy selfishness. Mm-hmm. A lot of what makes Burning Man work is this exercise in interdependence. I think that we were not capable of shifting gears back from independence to interdependence. In the pandemic, we all turned into a dirty bomb. Everybody you met, particularly before vaccines became at least an option, everybody you ran into could have killed you or could have given you the tools to kill somebody that you love. I don't think anybody really wrapped their head completely around how traumatizing that was. Whether we knew it or not, subconsciously, we were aware at some level that other people represented an existential health threat. Then we all come out there like that hadn't happened for two years. What that did was made it so that it was harder to trust people that we were close to because the nature of how this this pandemic worked was like you could be carrying a thing that could kill the people closest to you and vice versa. That eats away at the foundation of of trust that we have Mm -hmm. for each other. Because Burning Man is this kind of trust fall exercise facially at a really high level, if you think everybody's going to kill you, you can't, those screws are loose now. 
Uh-huh. And so it's not surprising that, that it comes apart. Do you see any solutions to that as we anticipate returning to ERC? Um, I don't think that this is permanent damage. Unfortunately, we're now swimming with a current that's been kind of going on in this country since 2016, maybe farther back to this sort of tribalism and this civil war that we're in. That's the convergence of how the social media algorithms work that sort of rewards that like, let's fight. Them are fight words. I'll see you at the flagpole after school, punk that sort of thing where a lot of our social interaction now is kind of built off of these performative displays of conflict. A big thing is like acknowledging what's going on. I think there are two two things at work here that have a synergy to them, which is the unprocessed trauma from the pandemic turning every one of us into this sort of insulated self-protection bubble. And then the other one is the nature of like pick a team. Yeah. Whose side are you on? And then like, as soon as you pick your team, then you erect all these sort of moats and walls around it. And it becomes very binary choice of either you completely agree with me or you can eat shit and die. That kind of factionalism, I think for what we're trying to do at Burning Man, which is kind of create this interdependent society that ostensibly has a diversity of opinion and things like that and tolerance. And it's seeped in there too. I don't know that is as extreme as what we see in our body politic in America, but it's not zero. Do you, you think know, that's because certain people don't feel welcome in that environment? Uh, I think Burning Man is jarring enough. The hostility of the desert itself has always been enough to overcome that. That's kind of the point. We created a common enemy out of the heat or the desert or the the lack of plumbing or whatever it is, that kind of pasted over whatever minor differences we had with one another were pretty easily pushed off to the side by the fact that if we don't get out of the sun, we're going to die and I can't build the shade structure on my own. So that's kind of the solution. It's trite to say it, but there's nothing wrong with Burning Man that what's right about Burning Man couldn't fix if we can get back to that level of buy-in. Wow. That's actually really smart. <laughs> I read a couple books. <laughs> what keeps you coming back? That's a great question because that was one that haunted me on the drive out. Like I said, this was 25 years straight minus the two years we weren't there, but I was still working for the event online. Mostly just arguing about COVID um, for two years <laughs> right. and, and As quote, we all quote, did. what we should all do and how this is not going to work and who gets to be blamed for what. But a lot of it was like trying to, was like, why am I still doing this? This is not, I mean, it's fun, but it's not fun. <laughs> you know? We could be in Tahiti relaxing on a beach with some umbrella drinks. I've toured enough in bands and whatnot to know that there's a great big world out there full of way cool shit that's new and novel and fun. The answer I came down on when I finally got there and spent a couple days, it was, it's about a hundred people. There's about a hundred people out there that I've known and been working with for most of those 25 years that are among my favorite people that I've ever met in my life. And the version of themselves that they get to be at Burning Man 
is an accelerant on the things that I love about them. Moreover, you don't have to make plans. I'm just going to run into these people. Like it's just going to rain all these people on me. And all my interactions with them are going to be these relaxed, random interactions, opposed to like, if I came up to your town, we got to find parking, you know? <laughs> you As opposed to, hey, it's you. Yeah, and, hey, you it's know. you out yeah. at the trash fence. What it allows for is, is a kind of interaction that gets us away. And I think especially so many of us come from these overcrowded feeder cities that are a hassle to go out in and meet somewhere. And then look at the interaction you have. It's like, okay, I, I'm coming up there. Great. We'll go out to dinner here. So now we got to make plans. We go there and then we got whatever, however long we can keep I'm from terrible the, at this. Yeah, all of us are. That's the other thing, too. I think that there's something about all of us that sucks at that particular thing. <laughs> Especially when you have kids and a family. Oh, yeah. And... There are some kids in there. The time we do get to spend with each other, we're just eating at some Thai place or whatever. I'm not going to get to see you push yourself to the best version of yourself over pad Thai. <laughs> <laughs> but i can do that at burning man like oh andy's rad look at andy being rad look at the situation that andy got put in where you can be the legend that you are it allows us to kind of be these versions of ourselves that we always sort of knew was there but you know the older you get you gotta do some shitty job with people you don't like and then just day after day it grinds you down not me. I'm smart enough to not do that, but most people. <laughs> um, it really does put you in these situations where we start off with this notion of like, let's pretend we're building a city, but then we actually were building a city. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, oh, look at these things that we made were real. Because again, we're in a situation where if we don't do them, the consequences are dire. Right. <laughs> you know? That's what's important about it. So to answer the question, there's about 100 people that I love seeing in that situation. And even if I saw them outside of there, I can't see them perform at that level. And more importantly, I can. I never thought about it that way. Watching people manifest their best selves in the face of all that. And yet, maybe that's why I left feeling frustrated and why your article resonated so hard with me was... I felt ineffective on that front for the first time in I've been doing this for like 25 years too. Yes, the weather kicked my butt and all of that, but there was this other kind of elephant in the room that we were just not used to doing what we do. And the systems had all changed because of the turnover of the last few years. Really, everybody I met and everybody I interacted with was throwing themselves at it including my 100 people, you know, my 150 yeah. favorites. And yet when you would run into them, they just kind of looked a yeah. little drained and a little <laughs> exhausted. And that was true, not just for like staffers, but people running theme camps and artists sure. and everybody. Yeah. It was just hard to be amongst people again like that and take well, it off the mothballs. This is like the two years of not doing it, probably putting its thumb on the scale. And also the fact that there was so much turnover that you had a lot of people having to stand in these gaps, if not doing some new position entirely. One of the things you got to do when you're a manager at Burning Man is after Burning Man, you got to call everybody on your staff and do these debriefings. One of the most common things that I've been hearing back was this feeling that people had like, I don't know if I did a good job. 
I don't feel like I performed at the level that I like to perform at. And it's not because anybody was going, you fucking sucked at that, bro. Although some of that did happen. But (laughs) you're not getting that dopamine rush that comes from, I did it. We did it. It was this feeling, this wildly unsatisfying feeling like, I feel like I got a C on this test. Yeah, which is for the average listener who's a participant, probably hard for them to parse because, well, do a good job or pay people or whatever, but it's yeah. it's a different environment. We do this because we love it. Mm-hmm. And being ineffective at it is a, a mortal wound in a lot of ways. Most people at this point, you know, when you're in the 10, 15, 20 years, I don't even know that it's even it anymore. It's the people. I can tell you amongst the people I work with, it's not dissimilar to people who do multiple tours in like Afghanistan. It's like, I don't know that I necessarily believe in this war anymore, but I'm not letting these people that I love go do it without me. And honestly, if that's the case, Burning Man's doing its job. Burning Man is decentralized enough to where there's not some central ego, some God whose ego needs to be stroked. It really is about the friends we made along the way. (laughs) (laughs) The feeling like we let each other down. Yeah, really real. That's fixable. And I don't know how much of that is a thing that has to happen inside each of our own heads and hearts versus a thing that can be externally demonstrable. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) The analogy that I have made, which is not necessarily the most apt one because it's ridiculous to think that what we're doing out there is in any way or shape or form, like, the stakes of of war or anything like that. However, there is a mentality of people who keep coming back to that. You're bound to less the cause as time goes on and more the people you do it with. And for people who walked away from this feeling like I didn't do as good job, I let people down. It's not that you did. It's that it felt that way, which is almost as bad. A number of the people I work with and a lot of people out there who their love language is words of affirmation. And if there's one thing Burning Man is exceptional at, it's saying thank you. That card we get at the end of the year is the most important thing (laughs) that for a lot of people is getting that thank you. All of us want to feel like we earned that and something inside of us didn't let us access what was clearly the gratitude of our coworkers. Every day, you know, I had conversations with people where I'm like, no, honestly, you're doing great. But for whatever reason, that didn't gain purchase. And I don't necessarily know why that is other than that connective psychic tissue that we have of a shared thing. The funny thing about this article and this conversation is 
when it's done, I don't know that anybody felt better. <laughs> <laughs> they you might know? have felt more seen because I certainly well, did. Yeah, I got a lot of that. I think as an artist, your job, your real job is you're supposed to articulate these axiomatic feelings that people have that they don't necessarily have the way to compress into one great sentence. That's what a writer does or a musician does. That's the thing you're constantly trying to get. I've been making art professionally my entire adult life. I don't know that I've had as many people react that way to anything I've done that they had to this particular art. The feel good was like, thank you. This is everything I've been feeling, but I couldn't put my finger on. So and that had to be beyond just staffers. Oh, it's about many thousands of people across the spectrum. That's the other thing is realizing that when you work there, you do tend to end up kind of backstage. And even (laughs) if you go out to Burning Man, there's still this beaded curtain between you and the experience. It's just because at any given moment, something could go sideways and you could get jerked right out of Burning Man and go deal with some dumb thing. It's hard to totally let yourself go to it. By the way, this is why staffers do short duration drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody could commit. (laughs) Nobody could commit. Um, Those were the days. Yeah. He's got 12 hours that you can can burn anymore. (laughs) So when you get home, do you ascribe to don't change your life drastically after Burning Man? Oh, or did the, anything the, change when you got home? The don't divorce your pigeon. Don't divorce your parakeet. Don't divorce your parakeet. Fortunately, I'm, I'm aware enough of that axiom to where I don't. This is what I've been telling everybody during these wrap-ups. I'm like, I know the temptation to say you're quitting or taking a year off next year is strong right now. And I'm not saying don't have that, but maybe revisit that in January. Mm-hmm. You know. Harley used to not accept resignations between October and January. <laughs> yeah. There's something about the new year. It's actually because of how our calendar works. So you mm-hmm. get out of Burning Man, then you have debriefs, and then there's that rush to get your budget in for next year. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then the holidays come and then we actually have the one break we all take. Mm-hmm. And then around January 1st, it's time to start calling everybody and see if they've found something better to do with their life. <laughs> <laughs> The art grant process is already open. We're heading into 2023 already. Right around the time the event started selling out. 2012-ish. Yeah, there was effectively no off-season. That was the end of the off-season. There used to be a pretty clear demarcation November, December. There was that gap where like, okay, we're all off the hook till January or whatever. But that went away. It's a continually running thing now. The other thing is time dilates in this really weird way between like, oh, next year I'm going to do this. Like while Mm -hmm. you're in the middle of something failing, like, oh, this failed. So I'm going to just make a note to myself that this failed. We're going to do this differently next time. It is now a year round event in some ways. I will never stop saying it was better next year. Yeah. You know what? My one is it's worse next year. It's worse next year. (laughs) Everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Oh, wait. No, it's already all okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm. it's it's fine. No, it's bad on purpose. That's the thing. You got to remember, it's bad on purpose. Uh Like, 
you kind of let go with this notion that any one year of Burning Man is quantifiably different or better. It's not the process of doing it together is the art. When we first started doing this, when everything burned, the whole point of it was we are going to erase all the effort we just made because we are trying to keep the focus and the priority on the process of doing it, not the thing that was done. That was a very foundational philosophical North Star that we were all pointing to. The goal here is not to make a thing and have everybody be reminded after our death that we made this thing. The idea is like, great, look at this awesome thing we just busted our ass doing. Now let's destroy it. And the glory of doing that just manifests itself a little differently. That's a thing we've lost sight of. And there's other things too that I feel like where we may have lost our way a little bit. Example? Okay, I'll tell you one. This is an org level thing. The notion that all the art needs to be done on the Monday right after we open the gates, okay? Mm -hmm. It used to be people were slapping together art all week. The project Some of it never got done. <laughs> Some of it never got done. That was the thing is you could just show up there, not connected to anything, and walk around and see some ding-dongs unloading a box truck and go, hey, what you doing there? And it's like, we're going to build this penis sculpture. You want to help? Sure. There were all these opportunities for volunteerism in the actual art that happened in real time that was the secret sauce. That's what we meant when we said no spectators. Participate. You can walk around and find something that somebody's doing and work together. Now it seems the priority is on this, like somebody comes out there a week before, builds this thing, and then you go and interact with it on an entertainment level. That breeds spectatorism. By making it so that all the art is built and done on Monday, there's no chance for anybody to come in and participate other than like, check out this hat, I bedazzled. We really got away from doing that. We used to have one principle, not 10. Two, actually, leave no trace and no spectators. no spectators. That was the whole of the law. Okay, but you were a founding member of Mutator, which was one of the earliest performance groups on the playa with a large group of performers that welcomed a lot of participation from the audience. That is true. And as a performer, certainly... A show needs spectators. So you can't have the circus without the rubes, you know? <laughs> at the same time, look at what Mutator was. Mutator was about 30 people. And the way that that formed is one person sitting in the middle of the dirt playing drums. And somebody walks along and goes, What are you doing? Playing drums. Can I play drums? Yeah. Okay. Now two people are playing drums. Somebody goes by, is like, Oh, can I spin fire to that? Yeah, you can spin fire to that. Somebody else comes along like, I'm good at making a bologna sandwich. Can I make a bologna sandwich while you do that? Absolutely. We'll put a light on you. <laughs> that was the point. The whole ethos of the mutator was this turning civilians into rock stars mentality. If we can do it, you can do. You didn't have to be especially great at what you did to get in the <laughs> mutator. But the nature of what we were doing, there was a doubt to it. Like Spectator Camp. Remember Spectator Camp? I do, with the bleachers where you yes. can just watch it go by. Yeah. For those of you that are 
under 60 <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> One of the most dominant things that we were all religious and shitty about was like no spectators. Somebody could jump up your ass if they thought you were spectating. So these geniuses came up with an idea to put some bleachers alongside the esplanade where you got there and you literally, they put a big Klieg light down on there and you spectated hard together. You just judged everybody that came by and yelled at them. And it was <laughs> awesome. I used to just make whole nights of it. They took the one rule, no spectating, and made it the most participatory thing you can possibly imagine. And that's it. The secret sauce, the magic of Burning Man is just that. You could leave your tent go wandering around and then find yourself involved in this participatory thing that you had no idea an hour ago even existed because in some cases it didn't. Some of the most fun I had in the nineties was making up some bullshit. Like we've got these four safety codes. Why don't we put them in the middle of the road and then we'll put shot glasses on them and see if we can get people to drive by and do a shot while driving a bike, which half of them ended up chucking it in their eyes, which was <laughs> fucking hysterical <laughs> that kind of thing next thing you know some people set up camp chairs on the other side to hold up scorecards that they made i'd rather see a playa full of that than somebody's overproduced five hundred thousand dollar ego trip you bring out something with massive production values and you had to hire skilled contractors and while that is great that's not going to change anybody's life the way spending an afternoon yelling at strangers at a bullhorn, trying to get them to do some ridiculous thing. Street then, improv. Street yeah. improv. Shtick. My favorite part. When you came back and you wouldn't shut up about <laughs> Burning Man, those were the stories you told. You didn't tell them about, oh, I saw this massive sculpture of the thing. It was like, oh, I sat down with some people and played a game called Does It Go in Cheese, where we just took <laughs> a bowl full of cheese and stuck stuff in it and tasted it and then decided, does that go in cheese? Miss Roach came up with that. Well, we did that at the Black Hole. Which is the kind of story that has your non-burner friends looking at you like, uh-huh. 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 Yeah. That's why I go back to the 80-20 rule. 80% of the people will think that's the dumbest thing they've ever heard. The other 20% of those people will quit their jobs to do it the rest of their lives. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely accurate. What have I not asked you that you want to make sure to mention? I think maybe it's time to unpack some solutions. I feel like I did a fairly decent job in the article pointing out the problem. What it is light on is solutions. Like I said, we need to get our rando participation game back up. I feel like we've lost a lot of the improv in things that we were doing for totally legit reasons. Like, yeah, somebody should build this thing right. And there should be some accountability to it. I mean, I remember climbing in stuff in the 90s where it's just like, we're all going to die in here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was made by cracked out amateurs. Right. But, Glad we made it through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the 70s, like seatbelts. We did wear seatbelts. <laughs> Those but, yeah, of us I, that lived. <laughs> yeah. Right. All the dead ones aren't there to fucking pipe up, are they? <laughs> I think we need to rethink what participation means. 
And if you have only been coming since, let's say, the sellout year, which is a very big, two geologic epochs are separated by that event. Absolutely. Because you used to really have to want to go to Grinning. That was not for everybody. And there was enough space and enough room to accommodate all of that. And now we are just doing crowd control. So much of what we're doing as an organization is just trying to keep these 80,000 people from dying, you know? (laughs) And that's great. But at what point are we just a NASCAR event? Maybe it's time to reconsider the idea of doing two 40,000 person events separated by 10 days, something like that. We have definitely discovered there are parts of Burning Man that are diminishing returns and not scalable past a certain point. The magic number for Burning Man is probably somewhere around 40,000 people. It's just like a dinner party. You can have too many people at a dinner party. Or what is it? Dunbar's number. Which is 150 people, right? Yeah. Dunbar's number is that there is a, a number of people past which any org chart will break down. And it's been true for work charts going back to like the Roman Legion and everything like that. The basis of it is troops of apes. So in ape societies, the social network is grooming. All the apes get groomed. That's how they connect to each other and that same thing. After 150 or 200 apes, some apes are not getting groomed. And then they become ungroomed, unruly apes that disturb the, the balance. It's the same thing with people. You can only maintain, it's probably somewhere between 150, 200. It's probably bigger now that we have social media and can. I don't know if it really got any bigger for our brains, though. Maybe slowly, but. You can't maintain, but a fixed amount of relationships where you're close with somebody just because there isn't enough time to know all those things about them, to be involved in their lives etc. And I think that there is a number for Burning Man as well. The experience starts diminishing in terms of like, if we want to go back to first principles about what you should be able to get out of Burning. As the number gets bigger and bigger, we've made this sort of dividing wall between the quote unquote artists and everybody else. The artists come out and they're doing participation. I bet you that number is close to 40,000. The number of people working a theme camp, participating at the level of participating that we socially decided was Burning Man participation. And then you have the other 40,000 that are literally just walking around taking pictures of themselves in front of other people's art. Gosh, would it be great (laughs) if we could go back to something that it was a little easier for somebody to jump in on at 80,000 because of safety, because of the stuff we have to do, we are sort of pushing them farther and farther into like, hey, man, just go over here, try not to get run over. We're forcing them into a life of spectatordom. If it was up to me, it would be about trying to make this a little bit less ambitious art-wise. I love that we spend what we do on art, but I don't know that the bigger, more overwhelming things necessarily. Again, I think it's diminishing returns. I would far rather see people come along and make shitty art together than a handful of people make some big piece of art and then everybody else just stand around and take Instagram photos in front of it. That to me is the difference. Insofar as anybody's interested in my opinion about 
quote unquote, what we should all do. (laughs) (laughs) If you look at our production arc and you look how long we're out there from July to October, it is entirely possible because especially so I get out there somewhere right after Fence Day. I'm out there for a month. There's an entire other burning mat that happens before we open up the gate. And it is two separate events in some ways. Many people describe that as their favorite part. There's some meaning there. (laughs) Right, because what's going on? Everybody out there is doing something intentional. If you've got a WAP, if you're out there, you are participating. The work access pass for those that don't know. And then the non-WAP people, there's no incumbency upon them to do anything other than bedazzle a captain's hat or whatever and try not to get run over. How do we go back to where we cleave that in half the same way and make it so that it's all whack. Oh, get a bucket and a mop. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder though, a person coming into this for the first time, putting on a clown nose and they're wearing jeans or khakis otherwise, and the clown nose is the most radically expressive thing they've done in years. So maybe it's their first entry. But you're saying that getting to be able to do more, not just express more but actually physically do more would also matter. You can wear the clown nose while you pound tea steaks, you know? Yeah, but I mean, for some people, that's a really radical act. They're super uptight and they are afraid that somebody's going to see them and they don't want their picture taken and they put it on, they feel ridiculous, and then they walk around with it on all day because it's Burning Man. I will posit to you that being asked to help make an art does more to fix that problem then sticking a clown nose on, and you can do the first one with the clown nose on, which is actually pretty important. Like, here, put on this clown nose and help me build this dumb thing. Yeah, I think we need to get Burning Man back to being what it is before we open the door to people without a work access pass. Everybody should be out there. Like, we should make it so that we can network people into building art together. There needs to be a premium placed on art that's built during the week and can be built by people that didn't know each other before. That's how we all met. All of us that are still here 25 years in, we're still here because 20 years ago, you saw some dummies doing some ridiculous thing and go like, I would like to do that ridiculous thing. And they were like, sure, come do it. And those are all my best friends now. And all those are the people who work at the event now. We need to make it so that people that come in get that treat to make Burning Man continue to be relevant the way it was. We have to figure out how to get back to that. I can't argue with that, Buck. Any final thoughts? I actually do want to say thank you to everybody who reached out to me through text messages or DMs or smoke signals or whatever that took the time to write me back and say this had an impact on me. You made an old head feel good. Um, and thank you to everybody that's, that remembers the way this used to be. I know it's not the back in the day, you should have been there, man, thing. We can redirect that energy. If Burning Man was better 10 years ago, well, great. Why was it better 10 years ago? And what are you doing right now to make it so that that can be like that for the 
second year sparkle pony. Yep. As village owners, we are stewards of this culture. And I think that because the event changed underneath us because of housing costs alone had a big impact on it and who gets to go to Burning Man and all that. We were like the frog in the frying pan on a lot of this, but it's still our responsibility to remember the parts of the culture that made us drink the Kool-Aid. If we're going to make a cult that joins you, let's make the cult worth joining. That only happens when a stranger can come into a situation and make an art, whatever that is. It's the the work, (laughs) you know. All these people that are coming in, the bucket listers, are shooting themselves in the foot. It used to be that we came out to Burning Man and it's like we were on this versus nature trip, right? Where it's like, okay, we're all going to figure out how to at least fight the desert to a draw. (laughs) Now you've got people that are coming out here like it is a display of how well you can live out there. I was like, oh, I'm going to bring in a Michelin chef and I'm going to live in this 50 foot Prevost Rockstar RV and all this other things. And like, look how great and fancy and nice everything is that I have out here that somebody else built and I possibly paid them to do. You are never in a million years going to get the thing about Burning Man that we got. That is the reason why we're still here. You cannot get that that way. You're not going to get the good stuff. I feel like if we prioritize that part and remind people like this is the the shared thing that we do together, that's going to give you the friends you're going to have for the rest of your life. And it's going to allow you to see the thing that you laugh about on your deathbed. That's how you get there. Beautifully said. (laughs) Well, gosh, thank you so much for being here today. We'll see you next year, I'm sure. Whether we like it or not, we do. We We do, do, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me on. um, And keep the faith, folks. My good friend, thank you so much. Thank you, my good friend. All right. And Val, thank you for refereeing. Awesome. Thank you so much. Aloha, friends. Bye-bye. Hey, Vav. Burning Man Live is a production of the Philosophical Center of Burning Man Project, made possible by generous donations from listeners like you, and listeners very different from you, too. Give at donate.burningman.org. Thoughts, feelings, intuition? Let us know at live at burningman.org. I'm producer and story editor Michael Vav. Andy Grace produced this episode Thanks to our teammates, KBOT and DJ Toil. Thanks to the Philosophical Center's director, Stuart Mangrum. And thanks, Larry. <laughs> <laughs>